It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor. With Rick Broering, each week we take a look at topics of interest locally and nationally, and uh, we are both hunkered down in different venues as we do this podcast, as we are practicing, I guess, doing best best practices, right? Is that what it is? We're, we're keeping a, we're keeping such a safe distance that we're about 15 miles apart. Well, you told me we were practicing safe podcasting, and I wore this condom, and now I feel kind of awkward. Well, hey, safety first in anything you do in life, my friend. No, well, okay. Let's just all right. Let's just get into sports talk at this point. The Bengals got off to a slow start in free agency, but they made a big splash on Tuesday when they agreed to deals with defensive tackle DJ Reader and cornerback Trey Waynes. Reader, a fifth round pick by Houston in 2016, reportedly agreed to a contract worth 53 million over four years. While Waynes, who played five seasons with the Minnesota Vikings, has reportedly agreed to a three-year, 42 million dollar contract with the Bengals. Skinny, who was the more important free agent get for the Bengals, Reader or Waynes? I think Waynes by far because you, uh, I mean, you needed a corner. Um, you know, Darquez Denard was was allowed to walk as a free agent, and that was coming. Um, Drake or Patrick's more than likely going to be a cap casualty, and so you you need a cornerback. And um, you know, Waynes has played on the outside, so he can step into the outside. I don't know if he's a great player or not. Um, if you go by ProFootballReference.com, and again, it's one measuring stick, just like Pro Football Focus is. Um, Wayne's in, in man coverage last year allowed quarterbacks to have a 107 passer rating against him. That's not overly great, but he was on a good defense, and he was a part of a good defense. And I don't think the contract is is awful. It's you know five million each year prorated bonus money. He's going to make you know five million as base salary in 2020, so that's not awful. So really, it's not a huge cap hit for him uh, this year. It's basically what it's going to cost them to to get rid of uh, to get rid of Kirkpatrick. So I'm all for it. The reader one to me, it, it, it puzzles me. I know people are all giddy by it and and um, and whatnot, but um, I'm just going to give you some numbers. And and again, you can't always rate. I think you'd agree with this. You can't rate tackles all the time, or even linemen per se, um, based on stats. But it is a measuring stick. So in DJ Reader's first three years, he averaged one one point three sacks per game or per per, per season rather, thirty three point three tackles, and had and three point seven quarterback hurries. Bengals had a player in the last two years that averaged 1.75 sacks, 33.5 tackles, and 5.5 quarterback coaches. And that player was Andrew Billings, who made $720,000. DJ Reader is worth 14 mil roughly a year. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I think you would agree with me that DJ Reader is better than Andrew Billings. But, but is he, is he uh, roughly $13 million a year better? Now, that's a, a question worth asking. I think the Bengals are partially betting on the fact that he's a young guy that's improving and he's and he's just entering his prime. Um, but I do think that, look, he, he brings a level of consistency and, and physical presence in the middle of your defensive line that they they don't have right now. I mean, even with Geno Atkins there, who is who is skills have decreased a bit the last few years. Um they they don't have the presence that Reader brings in terms of stuffing the middle of of an offensive line, particularly against the run. Now, are they overpaying him? Probably. I think the Bengals probably have to overpay to get good players to come there. Was this the biggest position of need? Probably not. So it's worth asking those questions. Um, I think I I still think it's good to get better, to get younger, 
to get more talented. And I think a guy like DJ Reader does that for your defense. Um, but the, the questions you bring up are good ones. Interestingly, though, the national opinion, if you you know read the national analysts and the, the scouts, they're completely flip-flopped. They seem to think that the Bengals overpaid for Waynes and got a, a good player in Reader. Look, I'm not even saying I don't think Reader's a good player. I just don't think I would have paid that kind of money for for, for a defensive tackle. I just, I, I, if I'm going to pay that money, it's a difference maker. I, I would have made a run at, at one of the linebackers, and I, and I know they weren't overly high on 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 Corey Littleton, and, and obviously Zach Taylor had uh, you know direct knowledge of him because he coached with the Rams when when Littleton was there. Um, I, I I I know a lot of people were pretty high on that kid. You know, they made a run for Nick Kwiatkowski and, and came up short. They made a run for Joe Schobert and came up short. I think I'd overpaid for those guys as opposed to a defensive tackle. I, for 53, for 14 mil a year, I, I need a guy who is going to not just be a, a, a run stopper or a gap stuffer. I need a guy to, to go put pressure on the quarterback on a consistent basis, to come up with sacks, to be a difference maker. And if he, if he was such a difference maker in, in Houston – um, you know, why didn't he make a Pro Bowl? I mean, and I know that's not always a measuring stick either, but I just, I, I think you overpaid for a guy that you could have found plenty of other capable players to fill that position when you had a glaring and have a glaring need at linebacker. And I think we all agree that there's a glaring need at linebacker. Well, I think there, we're going to talk more about the linebackers in a second, but I also sure. think there is no doubt that the Bengals are betting on DJ Reader being a difference maker. There's no question. I mean, you do not offer him this contract if you don't think he's going to be a difference maker. So they clearly see something. Maybe they they feel he fits differently in their scheme and will be more productive. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. But it, I do think, I would put it this way. I don't know a ton of defensive tackles throughout the NFL. I mean, I, I you know, you know some of them, and certainly the, the ones within your division and stuff. But... Uh, DJ Reader is a name I've known. I mean, he, he is a guy. He's he is a name you hear called out when you watch their games. And so I do feel like the Bengals have upgraded by adding him to the roster. Now, with Trey Waynes, it was certainly a position of need. I mean, they just need bodies at defensive back right now. And I think Trey Waynes is more than a body. I think he's a starter. Um, there are some questions about his consistency. There are definitely people out there who are questioning how much the Bengals paid to get him. Um, but I, again, I go back to the fact that I think the Bengals have to overpay to get free agents and particularly talented ones. And I think Trey Waynes is an upgrade over Drake Kirkpatrick. So if, if that's what you're getting rid of and, you, and you're not taking a huge hit money wise to do so, absolutely. I think that's a fine deal for the Bengals. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah and I, I don't have a huge problem. I, I don't think he's a, a, a difference maker, great player. I think he's at least Drake Kirkpatrick. Um, and maybe even a younger, well, he is a younger Drake or Patrick. Um, and a little more a little consistent, more and, better tackler. Yeah, yes, a, a lot more physicality. I mean, Dre, the next time Dre makes a tackle in a run game, he and Will Jackson will be the first time. So, yeah, that would, and again, from a financial standpoint, it's basically a wash. So, I think you have upgraded there. I, the reader one just bothers me just because of the money outlaid for a spot where I just don't know if that guy's that much of a difference maker, especially for that kind of coin. 
All right, well, we'll get to what the Bengals did on Wednesday in a second, but you brought up the linebackers, so let's go there next. The Bengals have made some acquisitions, but they've completely whiffed so far in the linebacker market. They were trying aggressively to get former Browns linebacker Joe Schobert, as you mentioned, um, but they wouldn't match Jacksonville's final price, which was a massive five-year, $53.75 million deal that they kind of got screwed luck-wise on some other guys who signed right away before Schobert made his decision. Skinny, have the Bengals screwed up by missing out on pretty much all the legitimate linebacker prospects in this year's pool of free agents? Or do you feel like there's still an opportunity for them to find a, a legitimate contributor? They've tried that route so many times, Rick. I mean, Preston Brown at the end, uh, Carlos Dansby at the end, A.J. Hawk at the end, um, who's the kid, Kevin Mitchell uh, at the end. You can go on and on and on. Um, and let's face it, they have not done a great job of drafting that position. I mean, there have been numerous over the last decade-plus guys who've been taken in fairly decent spots, third-round guys. Um, I mean, you, I, I did a whole column on basically third-round Bengals linebacker bus. And, and I don't think Jermaine Pratt fits in that mold yet, but I think we'll all agree the jury's still out on whether he's going to be a, 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 a great linebacker, even a capable linebacker. I mean, for a large part of why he started those last eight games last year out of necessity and he did play pretty well i mean it's not like i can tell you the kid played terribly i thought he played pretty pretty decently but uh uh it's just you can't just keep piecemealing that position i, I think in today's nfl it's an important important spot um you don't need a you don't need a four three run stopper but you need a three down guy to be able to play schobert was that guy littleton's that guy quietkowski was that guy and that's where I would have said, I'll overpay for those guys before I overpay for DJ Reader. Yeah, look, they need to overpay to get a linebacker. And so when I see them coming up short or just deciding that they're not willing to go where Jacksonville is willing to go to to pay Joe Schobert, that bothers me. That is concerning. At the same time, like I wasn't in love with Joe Schobert. I thought he was a good linebacker, but he's also like, He's supposed to be this guy and this great leader, and that's part of his value, and yet the Browns didn't necessarily want him back. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not dying that well, the they Browns, didn't. The Browns, also, the Browns also need to free up some money, too. Some of these moves are because you're filling their needs. You, you, you know, you can't spend ad infinitum. You, gotta have a, you have a salary cap you have to go to, and um, I think some of that revolved around Joe Schober being let go. Well, of course it did, but you make tough decisions right and i mean if this guy is super talented which he is good i don't know if he's quite as good as everyone's making him out to be in free agency right now um and if he is this great leader like everyone claims he is and that's part of the value there you would think the browns would want to keep the guy that they you know raised and sort of brought to this point um the fact that they couldn't find the money to do so makes you wonder like you know is he uh is he is he great or is he just pretty good? You know. Um, well, let, 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 let me let me flip that script on you then. Why did the Texans not make a run to keep DJ Reader? That's a fair point. I don't think DJ Reader is as good as Joe Schobert is at his position. Like I think Joe Schobert yeah, is a more talented player. And there you go. There you go. Um, the Bengals also, by the way, as we are literally doing this podcast, have signed another player. They've signed a cornerback, and, and he's, again, just to throw a body in there. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander of the Minnesota Vikings, a second Vikings player. They've signed him to a one. They're going to sign him. They haven't yet because teams aren't really signing anybody yet. They're just agreeing to deals. But uh, he's going to get uh, one year, $4 million. Basically just another body to throw at the position. He started 10 games over the last two years. Um, you know, had uh, 15 passes defense the last two years in a backup role, which is not awful. 
Uh, also can blitz a little bit, had four sacks uh, in 2018. So um, a, a versatile piece for four mil, and uh, he kind of fills, I guess, that BW level. And, and look, they're trying to throw a bunch of different guys at that position group, right? And I, I get that. Yeah, well, I think that's what they have to do. They did. They have no depth at that position, and the, the guys that they had last year weren't all that good to begin with. So, I mean, not only do they need to upgrade, but at this point, um, they really just need to add bodies at defensive back because, you know, you lose Darquez Denard, they're going to need somebody at the slot. It's just depth at this point, and um, I don't yeah, expect and, them to and, really upgrade and, that position a whole lot. Yeah, and, and of course, they let B.W. Webb walk, which was understandable. He had a nice cap savings there, and, and so Mackenzie Alexander pretty much is kind of a wash for, for the B.W. Webb letting go. So you kind of wash the money out, and now you have, you know, you have Lane's on the outside, Jack's on the outside, Alexander competing in the slot, Darius Phillips, I mentioned, competing in the slot, Tony Brown competing. Um, you know, you've got a, at least some bodies there to where I feel better now about the quarterback position, but Rick... God, I feel awful about the linebacker spot today, and I, I don't think anybody can tell me otherwise. No, I think everyone should feel really bad about the linebacker position because I think it's the their biggest issue on last year's team. On the offensive end, look, there were deficiencies for sure, um, particularly with the offensive line, but there were also a lot of injuries on the offensive end, and, and you think you're bringing in Joe Burrow at quarterback, so theoretically you're going to upgrade long-term there at that position. You get A.J. Green back. Like, There's a lot of reason to believe the offense is better next year and going forward than what it showed last year. But the defense, that isn't the case, and the biggest reason for that is because of the glaring hole at linebacker. So I'm completely with you that no one should feel good about the situation the Bengals are in at linebacker. At the same time, I'll bring this back full circle with the question. Is there an opportunity at this point for them to do something, or are they just screwed for the time being heading into the season? I hate to say this. I think what they wind up doing is if Nick Vigil doesn't find a taker, Nick Vigil comes back and is on this football team next year. Well, I mean, um, hell, at this point, I, he's probably one of the top five guys available at the spot. He's probably. I mean, there's not much is. out there. Yeah, the only other hope, I guess, Rick, is this, is, is you know, with that top of the second round draft pick, there's a lot of things this team can do. And maybe you get a quality linebacker to, to fall to that spot, um, and, and it's in that spot, and you, you're going to have your choice on day two uh, of the draft to take that guy. But it, 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 again, through the draft, this is not they have, they have they have not gotten very either lucky or done a very good job of evaluating in the draft. So I, I hold my breath on that. I, I yeah, I don't. I think what it is, it's another stopgap guy, and I guess. I guess the one caveat I will give, and I'm, I'm trying to be fair, I really and truly am, I don't want to crap on all the things, because look, they're spending money, and that's what people have wanted them to do, and they're, and they're doing it. And they still have to free up cap space really to get all this done, and they're doing it little by little. So I'll, I'll give them credit for that part of it. Um, I, I don't know if the, the plan's great, but I, I think you can even agree with this. You're not fixing everything in one offseason, right? You're just not. You can fix a, a chunk of it. And you're going to have a rookie quarterback, and right or wrong, that rookie quarterback probably isn't going to lead you to the playoffs in year one. So, a little bit maybe this year, and, and maybe with Reader, and, and again, I hope he proves me wrong. And I think what you said about Geno Atkins might be true, that look, if Geno's skills deteriorate one more year, then you better have a DJ Reader-type guy. At least it's an upgrade over anything else you have, and, and he becomes the number one guy at that position. So, yeah, you're not going to fix everything in one offseason. It just feels like... 
feel like to me, they don't value linebacker. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it well, just doesn't feel like they value it, but maybe it's next year where they have to address that spot. How could you feel any other way at this point? I mean, they just continually pass the buck down the road. Look, they got lucky a couple times with an Odell Thurman, um, Vontez Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. they got lucky with a couple of problematic guys that that they end that end up slipping to them. You know that they 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 found out to be players, but both of them had their issues too. Um, and they've never been able to just go out and find like a stud in the draft or really sign that big free agent at that position or even even attempt to do it. Um, this year, it seemed like they were going to, and and that's why I go back to Joe Schobert. It's you know my point was I'm not dying that they missed out on Joe Schobert specifically. But it does suck that they're just left holding the bag when they said they were going to spend at free ag- er, at linebacker in free agency, and there's really no one left for them to spend on at that point. At one show, yeah. Sherbert signed, so it's like, well, what? Were, who are you waiting to sign? Because the other guys were already off the books for the most part. Like he was the guy still left, and you weren't willing to go to fifty three point seven five over five years. But uh, like you said, you could pay DJ Reader. I'm not bothered by the DJ Reader contract at all, but I am bothered by the fact that you couldn't figure out how to pay the top linebacker prospect. Yeah, and again, maybe they just don't value it, and maybe maybe they're going to prove us wrong one day. But it's been three it's been three decades of not proving us wrong. That's all I know. Well, good point. On Wednesday, the Bengals released guard John Miller and cornerback B.W. Webb, as we mentioned before, and reportedly added offensive guard Xavier Suafilo. The 29-year-old guard spent the last two years with the Dallas Cowboys, starting 12 of 19 games. Before that, he played for the Houston Texans, the team that drafted him 33rd overall in 2014. Skinny, is Xavier Suafilo an impact player for the Bengals next year? He is not. Um, he's a warm body that uh, would be in the mix of a position that right now looks terrible, the guard position. Um Look, I mean, this guy didn't even make the, the Tennessee Titans a couple of years ago, and, and the Cowboys signed him really to add depth, and then he got kind of thrust in the starting lineup for a few games, and he started a handful of games this past year as well. Um, but no, I don't I don't consider him an impact player. Um, he's, I, in my opinion, he's a downgrade to John Miller, but uh, the, the money's kind of a wash, and, and so they've got him. I, that, that, again, from linebacker to offensive line, those are the two spots where I continue to scratch my head and go, "What are you doing? What 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 are we doing? Where, where are you going with this position group?" I think Xavier Suafilo is an upgrade over John Miller. Um, you still have the Bobby Hart, Fred Johnson right tackle group, but I know they're very high on Fred Johnson, and I hope to God they're right on that. The left guard right now is Billy Price or Michael Jordan, and that's not a great option. I do like Trey Hopkins, and we hope to let Jonah Williams. Right now, we've got offensive line for a rookie quarterback. He adds. It's not good. And I don't, look, they have to add bodies, so I have no issue with them bringing in Suafilo. But it, the problem is, you said it, he's not going to be an impact player. Yet, he might start. I mean, it's not out of the question to think that this guy could be starting at guard. By default. Right. Uh, that's not a good thing. I'm not, I'm not happy about no. the fact that he might be starting, but he might. Yeah, it, it goes back. So in that regard, he might be an impact player, just not in the way you want him to be. <laughs> yeah, a negative impact player. You, you never said which kind of impact, though, Rick. No, I didn't. Positive. We'll go negative in this regard. Skinny Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton has been a big storyline of NFL free agency. He reportedly drew interest from multiple teams, but that interest is evaporating quickly. As the Bears added Nick Foles, the Chargers are reportedly set on veteran Tyrod Taylor, Phillip Rivers signed with the Colts, and the Buccaneers signed Tom Brady. 
The most obvious team still in the market for a quarterback is the New England Patriots. What do you think ends up happening with Andy Dalton? That's a great question. I mean, it, it, it felt like the Bengals were going to be able to get something for him. I, I think we're at the stage almost, Rick, where the Bengals have to release him and then Andy can go sign a, a contract to, for some, for certainly lesser than what he would have made this year, 17 mil. Um, the good part is that the Bengals cut him up. It counts towards the salary cap. I just, I don't think there's a market right now for Andy Dalton. And that's not to say he doesn't wind up in New England, but if you're New England, you just wait it out. I mean, there's no real other suitors for him at this point, and and I don't think they're completely wedded to him. They seem like they at least publicly like Jared Stidham. Um, they could always trade for Jacoby Brissett if they couldn't get Andy Dalton because Brissett now has lost his starting job, and he came from New England. And um, I don't know, Bel- Belichick was pretty high on him too, so you could always get him back. I just don't know if there's a great market any longer for Andy. I think maybe you have to let him go and bite the bullet on it and realize you, you, you didn't get anything in return for it. Yeah, and where they really got hurt is is when the Bears got Nick yes. Foles. I mean, once that happened, because it, the Bears sounded like a legitimate suitor for him at one point. Like, they were considering making a trade for him and, and that they were interested. And at that point, it kind of felt like, well, maybe you'll get a little bidding war going on between the Bears and the Patriots for Andy Dalton, believe it or not, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but that quickly changed once Foles was added. You know, I think the Chargers may be looking at the same thing as the Patriots right now and just saying, eh, we're good with Tyrod Taylor, well, unless you cut Andy Dalton and then maybe we'll bring him right. in too. Um, but I'm sure that's what the Patriots are thinking. It's just if you want to cut him, sure. Um, otherwise, we can find Andy Dalton somewhere else or that level of production. Um, it, let me ask you this. Let's say the Patriots end, end up with Andy Dalton. Are they a playoff team if Andy Dalton goes there? I don't think so. And you know me, I, I'm, I've been a, probably the, the the biggest Andy Dalton, I don't want to say fan, but I, I've, I've probably been his, I'll, I'll, call, I'll say this, I guess I've been his biggest apologist because I think the guy is a quality quarterback. But I'm also in the camp of a lot of people that Andy does need a lot of pieces around him to make things work at a high level. Um, and when he's got those pieces, he's very, very, he's very good. He does all the things you want a quarterback to do, get in and out of the right play, Put the ball, getting the ball out on time, getting at the right people. When those guys are really good around him, you got a lot of choices to, to do that. Uh, let's face it, Tom Brady made guys look great at times in New England. I don't think Andy's capable of that. If he had the pieces around him, uh, but some of it is, I think that Belichick, whoever this next quarterback will be, um, it, it's, it's going to be probably leaning more heavily to the running game than ever before. Um, and I think that would probably help Andy some, but. I don't think Andy elevates a team. The thing is, I also don't think Andy Andy um, drags a team down. I don't think you take Andy Dalton and go, man, oh man, we're not going we can't win with this guy. You can if there's pieces around him. Uh, I think Jameis Winston's that guy right now where you're like, I don't know if I can take this guy. I, I look, I know he throws thirty touchdowns. He also throws thirty picks. I, I I can't take Andy's not dragging you down. I think Andy's right in the middle. It's a guy that if you got the pieces, you're going to win. If you don't have the pieces. He's going to do some things. I mean, honestly, I, this past year, he had some of his best games ever. Um, you know, set a, set a single-game record for passing yardage and completions in, the, in that over. Um, set a single-game record for pass attempts at Miami and led that great comeback. Andy hit some great moments. And let's say he looked, took a team to the playoffs five times as a starting quarterback. Nothing to sneeze at. But I don't think he elevates, I don't think he elevates the Patriots. Um, they, they've got a lot of other pieces they need to, to work. They lost some guys on defense, too. Um, I, I, I don't see that happening. I think your assessment of Andy Dalton is correct in terms of what he is. Um, I think you're a little too down on, on the Patriots, though. I think 
with the system in place, with the infrastructure in place that the Patriots give you, yes, they don't have enough in terms of receivers, but they also didn't have like enough in terms of downfield explosive threats for Tom Brady to go out and win a Super Bowl. They had enough in terms of solid pieces on the offensive line and in the run game and scheme and coaching and defense to where they could they're a playoff caliber team and i think with andy dalton they can still beat that um do they scare me with andy dalton no not really i just think they're a solid team with a good defense at that point and and like you said probably sticks to the running game a bit more um but i think bill belichick still finds them finds a way to get them to the playoffs with andy dalton I, i i don't think they advance very far but i think they find a way in I, I think the, I think the team to beat in that division now is Buffalo. I think the moves Buffalo made and the fact of, of where they were last year and now the fact there's no Tom Brady and the fact they let uh, two starting linebackers, Kyle Benoit and, and Jamie Collins, walk and let corner walk. I, I think they I think they're they're in the little early stages of a rebuilding job in, in New England. Um, it probably won't take them long because Belichick makes a lot of good decisions, but I don't think Andy takes him to the playoffs if he's there. I hope he does. I, it, would, it would be great to see that happen for him. Just to have everybody here in Cincinnati go, huh, maybe he wasn't bad as we thought he was. While we're on the topic of the Patriots of Brady, the six-time Super Bowl champion agreed in principle to become the new quarterback of the Buccaneers for about $30 million per year. Brady threw for 4,057 yards with 24 touchdowns and eight interceptions last year while completing 60.8% of his passes for a quarterback rating of 88. He will turn 43 on August 3rd. The Bucks finished third in the NFC South last year with a 7-9 overall record, including 2-4 and four within a division that includes the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers. Skinny, do you think Tom Brady is enough to get the Bucks to the playoffs? I think he's enough to get into the playoffs, but, but I heard this point made, and I thought it was a good one, and so I'm, I'm not going to be the original content creator for this point. You know, all those years Brady played in the AFC East, there wasn't exactly a lot of great quarterbacks in that division, were there? I mean, no. But Buffalo was a revolving door. The Jets were a revolving door. Uh, Miami, uh, you know, probably their best over the last few years was Ryan Tannehill. Um, so now you're going to a division where Matt Ryan is a former MVP, Drew Brees is a former MVP, and yet Carolina's probably in that in that build mode. Um, that said, though, I mean the weapons around him. To, I mean Godwin and, and Mike Evans alone are arguably, since he had Randy Moss and, and Wes Welker to throw to, the best combination he's ever had to throw the football to. And Bruce Arians, as we all know, is a great offensive coach. You know, they were a they were a potent offense last year. The problem is, obviously, Jameis had some interception woes, and, and while he threw a bunch of touchdowns, he also threw a bunch of picks. I, I could see Brady elevate himself to a forty four hundred yard season with thirty to thirty five TDs and ten to twelve interceptions because he's probably going to throw the ball around a little bit more and a little bit more downfield. Um, but yeah, I, I think they can be a playoff team. I don't know if they're enough to, to get Tom Brady back to a Super Bowl. I don't love the Bucks, and you know I'm still a little bit surprised that Tom Brady. We talked about it so much. It's been a topic of conversation that he might opt to leave the Patriots after this year for so long. But I never really believed that that was going to be the best option for him, and I still don't know that it really is. But I will be honest, when you look at the Buccaneers and you see last year that they were in just about every game. I mean, just about yep. every game. And those games that they lost in close games, you know, I think it was uh, six different games they lost by one possession. Jameis Winston threw 12 interceptions in those six games. And one of those games, one one of the early starts for Daniel Jones and the Giants, if you remember, um, the kicker missed a, a chip shot people that would have won it. 
Right. I mean, so when you start looking at things like that and, and you realize a lot of the value with Tom Brady, especially at this point in his career, is going to be like it was with Peyton Manning for the Broncos. And he's better than Peyton Manning was with the Broncos. I mean, he can still throw the ball much better than Peyton could. And, and uh, he doesn't move great, but he certainly moves around the pocket much better than Peyton did at that point in his career. But it, they're the same in the sense that they elevate everyone else just by their leadership and the way they demand excellence from everybody else. The Most of those guys have never played with a quarterback or a leader like Tom Brady before who is going to, to demand all of them to be professionals. And there aren't a lot of guys in the NFL who can go into a locker room and demand that out of their teammates and get respect from them to where they listen, except Tom Brady is that type of guy. So, man, when you start thinking about, like, like you said, Godwin and Evans with Tom Brady and those two, you know, Acting, I mean, they, they've been already been good, but they raised their game up a little bit more because they don't want to let Tom Brady down and, and they want to get up to his standards. Maybe the Bucks will be a contender. I mean, I, I think they can definitely be a playoff team now. Are they enough? Is he enough to make them a Super Bowl contender? I have my doubts about that. Uh, but at the same time, I feel a whole lot better that the Buccaneers will be a Super Bowl contender next year than I do the Patriots will. Yeah, I, I'll give you that, but I think it's a far fetch for either one of them to be honest say they're a Super Bowl contender. Totally I, even agree. if it stayed, I'm not sure New England still would have been a Super Bowl contender, but well, that NFC just feels loaded, man. It just feels loaded. And that division alone feels loaded. How many, again, go back, how many years did it ever feel like the AFC East was anything other than New England and a bunch of rubbies? No, never. It, it never did. And I mean, it, everything's going to be completely different for Tom Brady now. And that's why I'm still shocked that he feels like this is the best position for him to be in but i it is crazy sometimes skinny because you know we 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 have these rumors that get out online and they become just kind of fact for a lot of fans right the whole rift between tom brady and bill belichick and how they they want to prove themselves op, you know separate from each other you know exclusively that, that that they're just tom brady can make a team great on his own and bill belichick can make a great team great on his own and it's and you know from a media perspective from an insider perspective sometimes you want to say that's ridiculous that's not how these things work these guys are adults they're professionals but then you come to find out that's exactly what was happening here i mean how yeah. could how could anything else be what could the other explanation be for why tom brady would be leaving when he's 42 years old about to be 43 before the start of the season and he, let's, let's say, he, he made a lot of concessions financially in New England year after year after year. And I'm not here to tell you anybody should have a pity party for, for Tom Brady financially because he made a pretty good piece of change over the years. And um, his wife's made a pretty good piece of change over the years. But I also think he probably in the end felt a little slighted that, you know, you guys keep doing this and yet you, you don't give me weapons. And I want to go somewhere where I can rip it. I got guys I can rip it with now. I want, to, I want one more feeling of seeing – what can happen when I got legitimate threats around me in a receiver group? And and honestly, that's the one thing I think makes Tampa Bay attractive is, is the fact of Godwin and Evans and Bruce Arians, who's an extremely offensive-minded coach. I think those things are what made it attractive to Brady to say, all right, if I'm going to do this one more time, I'm going down with some weapons. I want to see what I can really fully do when I got dudes to throw the football to. I mean, you got to give it to the NFL, right? This is good stuff. I mean, it is just well, great entertainment and theater. Yeah, in a week where I've, I've, I've watched, I'm, I'm going to watch the 1976 Mark Sidrich game on, on Monday Night Baseball against the Yankees that I recall as a child. I've watched now three different times the 23-22 Phillies over Cubs 1979 game. Yeah, this has given us some legit news, right? 
Yeah, I mean, well, last week, you know, we get done with the podcast and you talk about, well, next week we won't have to get into complete silliness yet because we'll at least have NFL free agency. And, you know, I'm thinking about, oh, great, talk about Andy Dalton again, talk about what the Bengals didn't do in free agency again. And and I, I had zero excitement about coming in to do this podcast. And now we're here, you know, yesterday hits, the day before hits, and I'm like, I, I can't wait to do this podcast because <laughs> the NFL is so good. I mean, I got to give it to them. It is the best soap opera going. I did not expect Tom Brady to be going to the Buccaneers. I did not expect to be so excited to watch the Buccaneers this year, but here we are. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm guessing Tampa got, what, a 6,700 uh, uh, bump in season ticket sales on day one. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, not surprising, though. One of the no, most exactly. one of the most discussed NFL deals of the week has been the trade of receiver DeAndre Hopkins from the Houston Texans to the Arizona Cardinals for running back David Johnson with draft picks involved. A report Wednesday night from HoustonChronicle.com's Aaron Wilson indicates that the Cincinnati Bengals, Philadelphia Eagles, and New England Patriots also were among the teams that discussed Hopkins with the Texans before he was dealt. Considering it only took David Johnson and some draft picks to get one of the best receivers in the NFL, Skinny, should the Bengals have made a stronger push for DeAndre Hopkins? It depends on then what you would have done with A.J. Green. I'm guessing if that would have taken place, because that move was made really early, and discussed really early on, on Monday, um, I'm guessing you wouldn't have tagged, tagged A.J. Green. I will say that the, the DeAndre Hopkins contract is not an awful contract. He has no dead money left on his contract, which means if you want to get rid of him or cut him or whatever, which you're not going to do, you don't have to apply any of it to the salary cap. And his bases for the next three years are 12.5 in 2020, 13 and a half in 2021, and 13.9 in 2022. AJ Green's going to make 18 mil on a franchise tag this year. I don't. I mean, look, if if Houston asked for your first pick, right? I don't think you'd have done it for for this maneuver. Oh hell, and maybe no. even you. And maybe even if you balked at the second round pick, may, maybe then, and you would have obviously had to give up a player. I. I just, I, I, and Aaron Wilson's very well connected, obviously, and um, so I, I believe that the Bengals were in the, in the mix, and he says so. The, the thing that I, I, I just don't know how how they would have been able to structure this and, and make this work if that was the case. Again, the, the contract is not an awful one for a guy of his caliber. I mean, AJ Green technically this year is going to make five million dollars a year more. I think I'd take DeAndre Hopkins straight up for AJ Green right now, and I love AJ Green. Oh, I don't think there's anyone in in football who would disagree with that. I think everyone has taken DeAndre Hopkins. And, I mean, the fact that all it took to get him was David Wilson. I mean, is that not shocking to you? I mean, David, excuse me, David, David Wilson, David Johnson. Is that not shocking to you? Yeah, because, but I think also speaks, you talk about riffs. I mean, Bill O'Brien is the GM and head coach, and, and apparently head coach Bill O'Brien wasn't all that fond of player DeAndre Hopkins and then GM. Bill O'Brien decided to see you later. Um, I, I, I think it's a negative impact on that football team, um, you know, especially from a personnel standpoint and, again, from a, from a contract standpoint. I, I know that probably in a couple of years, DeAndre Hopkins is going to want to break the bank, but for three years, you've got him under nice control at a decent cost, and he's extremely productive. I, I, I think that's the big head scratch. As much as Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay is a head scratcher for people, I think this is the one that set the stage of, whoa, this is how we're starting the free agency period? And this wasn't even a free agent move. This was just a trade. This one, I think, struck everybody as odd. And, and you know, back to your Bengals part of it, I, I just I, I don't know if it was going to work out to how they would have been able to make a deal. I just don't. I, I don't. And if they, if they pushed for it and they got to the point where they, they had a chance, good for them. But I, I, 
as much as I'm digging for the DJ reader, I'm not digging for not getting DeAndre Hopkins. No, I know David Johnson had his year, you know, what is it, 2016 or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah he, it's been a while. He, he was one of the guys, but at this point, he's he's a 29-year-old running back who's just okay. I mean, like, what, a little over three yards per carry, I think. I don't I, – to me, like, I get what you're saying. Who would the Bengals have really given up to, to get DeAndre Hopkins to where it would have made sense? At the same time – if it only took David Johnson and some draft picks, like would they have necessarily turned down Gio Bernard and the the second round pick? I mean, maybe that's way too much for DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know, but like it, you're talking about adding one of the best receivers in the NFL, and and I'm not getting rid of AJ Green if I do that. I'm if I'm getting Joe Burrow, I'm giving him DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green if I can swing it for like yeah, Gio Bernard and a draft pick. Yeah, the problem is, though, Rick, you, I don't think you could have made it work from a salary cap perspective. I just don't. And, and again, you also have to set aside some money here for, for Joe Mixon to, to get extended. So I think there's also the finances of it as well. Fair enough. I mean, what, but Gio Bernard's making a lot of money, isn't he? Uh, I got to look. I want to say it's I want to say it's eight. I can do it here as we're talking. I, I think it's around eight for, for this coming year. And there's I think there's a ton of dead money for him. I know there's some. Um and again, then you're also assuming that that's what Houston wanted was Gio right, Bernard. Right, and it's an, it's <laughs> so. entirely possible that they that you know they didn't want Gio Bernard, but at the same time, when I see that they were willing to take David Johnson, I'm like, and and draft pick, I just to me it seems like there may have been something to work out here. I don't know that how much the Bengals actually pursued this option, and, and probably because, like you said, it just wasn't all that feasible. But when you see how easily it was for the Cardinals to obtain one of the best receivers in the NFL, you do start wondering what next year could look like with, you know, a rookie Joe Burrow and two of the best receivers in, in the sport. Well, never mind a thousand yard receiver in the last two years in Tyler Boyd to throw into the mix. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't suck either. Yeah. Uh, on Geo, it's uh, the next two years. He'll make 3.1 in base salary this year, 3.7 next year. And he's still owed about what he's owed 1.3 and well, not owed, but prorated bonus money. So he, he'd only be a cap hit if, if of one point three, about four point four million this year is what his cap hit would be. So okay. it's not awful money. No, you'd have to figure some things out there, though, for certain. You're probably right. All right, um, Skinny. Let's wrap up sort of the Bengals talk with this. Is there anything else the Bengals should be targeting in free agency at this point, or are they pretty much done? I gotta think they're pretty much done. I mean, again, pick at the carcass of a linebacker towards the end. I can't imagine you don't sign somebody, whoever that somebody might be, whatever maybe is left on on the board. I I, I wish they would have been able to go get a tackle. It doesn't seem like that's going to take place. That you're gonna and again, they're high on Fred Johnson. I right or wrong, they're high on the guy. Um, he made one start last year, the last game of the year, played pretty well. So they're they're tagged to it, and and they still have Bobby Hart, which I know fools you, Rick. But yeah, I, I gotta think they are. I mean. Again, you're going to have to to get rid of. I mean, you're going to have to get rid of Andy and uh, Dre to make a lot of this work financially, which is going to happen. Plus, again, as I mentioned, you're hopefully going to sign uh, Joe Mixon to an extension to make him happy and keep him in the fold for for a while. So, honestly, I I think to their credit, whatever they decided to target, they got what they targeted. They obviously targeted Reader. I mean, they paid him the money that said, "We targeted you. We value you." They targeted Trey Wayne's. Um, knowing that they're going to let Dre walk, and rightfully so. I mean, those two guys they targeted. The last two pieces they picked up, Mackenzie Alexander 
and and uh, Xavier Fuasilo, or however you say his freaking name, uh, Suathilo, um, are really just kind of, hey, they're worth it because the money's not awful, and they started some games and played some games in the NFL, so let's kick the tires on those guys. So I, I think that, to me, I, I mean, my, my wish list was a linebacker, a tackle, and re-signing Joe Mixon. Well, okay, they went a different route, but I, I think they they spent money, and I'd like, as anybody would know, that's what you wanted them to do. I don't know if they spent it wisely. Only time will tell that, but they spent money, and that's what everybody wanted them to do. Yeah, I I don't dislike the the guys that they went after. I don't dislike the fact that they're trying at least. They're taking big swings. They're overpaying a little bit if they need to to get good players. I like that fa- the fact that they're looking young. You know, guys with multi years still left on their deals that are also in their prime. That that is a good thing to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball where they need to improve a lot. Um, at the same time, like you said, I mean, there's just nothing at linebacker at this point. And if you bring back Nick Vigil, great. I mean, you're basically right back where you were last season. That's that's not very good. And uh, yep. th- at this point, there's I don't think there's a whole lot of upside. Even if you go with, let's say, the 33rd pick in the draft ends up being a linebacker. And even if that linebacker ends up being pretty talented and, and good down the line, it's going to take a couple years for that guy to be good. And you're already dealing with Jermaine Pratt, who it's probably going to take some time to where he's consistent and reliable, even though he's shown some upside already. So, um, yeah, I'm going to play, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I mean, Darius Leonard was a second round pick, right? Of, of the Colts and became the defensive rookie of the year. Maybe you fall into that guy. And again, that's a big if, and that's a big maybe, but maybe that, maybe you get lucky. Yeah, well, I mean, and like Odell Thurman, you know, Vontaze Burfecht, those types right. of guys, they did make an impact immediately. I think it, it's still... You know, it's it's hard to rely on rookies still. And, and granted, the Bengals aren't going to be in a position this year to where they're going to be relying on anything anyways. They're just looking to get better. And, you know, so yeah. um, can they get to the point where they're competitive this year with these guys and and then hopefully you, you improve another spot or two down the line? I guess it's possible. Uh, they've just got, got a long way to go still. And I don't think uh, there's a whole lot more they can do in free agency at this point. That being said, at least they did something. It wasn't, um, yeah. it wasn't a complete nothing burger after uh, all that talk that that they had leading up to it where they were going to spend money and and i i did throw this out on twitter skinny do do we have fc cincinnati to thank for the fact that all of a sudden both teams in town have decided they're going to open up the pocketbooks and have their biggest free agent classes in in franchise history i think a little bit but i also think the fact of what you saw attendance wise for both um has certainly factored into that right but yeah i but i mean that's part of the attendance town is taking your Buy, right? Yeah, with it's taking your dollars and taking your tickets, yeah, I, I, I think you do to some degree have, have them to thank for it. And obviously the timing kind of worked out in both teams' cases that they were just kind of that rock-bottom rebuilding point in both scenarios. Almost. Red's not as much. They've kind of been on this rebuild for a little bit now, but Bengals certainly at that sort of rock-bottom rebuild stage that, that you rarely get to in the NFL. Skinny, yep. let's switch gears now. With the cancellation of MLB spring training in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer helped organize a Sandlot wiffle ball game that was live-streamed and filmed with all the players being fully mic'd. The game raised money for a few different charities, including a GoFundMe for the Cincinnati Reds game day staff. Do you have any thoughts on the uh, Sandlot game put together by Trevor Bauer? I didn't watch the live stream. I did see a couple of highlights. I think it was a nice gesture by Trevor Bauer because it, it kind of was a chance to at least feel like you were watching something and, and it did raise money for, for some, some causes and some people that needed it, which I think was a very, very extraordinarily nice gesture on Trevor Bauer's part. And I'm sure you grew up as I did, Rick, playing wiffle ball probably on a daily basis in your backyard or fast pitch tennis ball or something like that. 
Um, that's all we seem to do in, in the summertime. Um, but you know what? I don't want to watch people play wiffle ball. I'm sorry. I, I, if I'm going to do it, I want to be playing it. I, I don't want to watch wiffle ball. There, there's probably nothing more boring than watching people play wiffle ball. Um, so yeah, look, this isn't something I'm tuning into the live stream for. I certainly didn't do that. That being said, to me, this was a big time response by Trevor Bauer after the video he made writing commissioner. We had talked about that on another podcast. I called him out yep. because he was basically making a bunch of comments that had nothing to do with the rules that he was supposedly against um, in that video and what it was titled about. And in the, in the video, he's talking a lot about the the commissioner and the MLB's lack of awareness of how to promote the stars of the sport, right? And not being willing to do things like share their highlights on social media and promote the great character uh, of some of their, their top athletes. And to me, the whining Trevor Bauer did in that video was not a good look for him. It did nothing to help solve the problem. Um, and it really wasn't relevant to the conversation that he was bringing it to. That being said, after he had a conversation with the commissioner on his own and he apologized to him, I thought this was a big time move by him to put his money where his mouth was. He set this up for guys and showed a bunch of players, you know, some like Derek Dietrich, a younger guy who doesn't really have much of a name at this point, how to build your brand, right? Like this is what you do. And it doesn't matter that we tune into the live stream. It was all filmed. They were all mic'd up. So if there was a funny moment that happened or a viral moment that happened or great play, you have the clip right there, shareable. And we have seen several of those clips shared around. Like that's how I came across it. It wasn't that I tuned into the live stream. This is the type of thing that Trevor Bauer was talking about players needing to do the MLB needing to help do it to me. Like that's a, that was impressive to see like he actually does get it and he's actually trying to help fix the problem. And I go back to, you know, he doesn't get it right all the time, but there is no question that the dude is super passionate about the sport and really, really cares deeply about it. And, and I thought this was a, a cool idea by him. And by the way, he, he helped raise uh, some money for the Reds game day staff, which I thought was a cool gesture as well. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. But, but, to watch a wiffle ball game i'm just i'm not gonna do it yeah i'm not doing that either all right skinny it hurts to say but today should be the first day of the ncaa tournament so with that let's wrap the show with a few march madness related rapid fire questions we'll start with what ncaa tournament storyline would you have wanted to see the most honestly i mean it's gonna be a cop out right i just want to see how that tournament would have unfolded i mean there were just there could have been so much nuttiness, so much madness, so much. How is this team an elite eight team? How did this team get to the Sweet Sixteen? And who knows? It could also have been all chalk, where you go, okay, yeah, the top ten became the top eight when all of a sudden done. The elite eight makes sense. I just would have wanted to see the whole thing unfold. There wasn't, there wasn't that super team, and maybe we need that super team every year to say, boy, that's the villain. That's the one that's got to get beat. That's the one I'm going to watch and hope they get beat. Um, you know, like like Duke. In, in Central Florida last year, right? I mean, that that was almost the must-watch game of the tournament. Of oh my gosh, Central Florida is going to pull off this upset over Duke. Um, but no, I used to think I think the whole thing, the way it would have unfolded, would have been fascinating to me. And again, that sounds like a cop out because I know you probably got some storylines you want to throw out there that were, you were going to look at. But to me, I just I, I think it's would have been a fun, fun, fun tournament to watch from start to finish. No, I mean, I think the the parody or maybe lack of parody that we could have seen this year was certainly something that was on everyone's minds, right? Like we kept talking about how crazy of a season it was. And 
you know, early on in this year, it's like, okay, yeah, but we say that every year. But then the season kept going. It's like, no, this year's different. I mean, this is really, really different. And uh, maybe it's fitting that it ended the way it did with no champion at all, essentially. Um, but I, I do think there were some specific storylines that I was interested to see. And the first, to me, I think was Texas with Shaka Smart. Because I think they were probably going to get in, probably as like a play-in game. Well, and, they would have, yeah, the Texas, the Texas Tech game in the Big 12 tournament would have been, that was a must-win game for them. Probably. Uh, I mean, even still, I think they had a really good shot at the play-in game when I look at their resume. I mean, it just it's, it seems like it's really hard to keep them out when I, when I look at um, their resume compared to the other teams on the cut line. I think them and Xavier were destined to play, the, to play each other again in the play-in game. Um, to me, and both I, teams would have been really hard to, to keep not out. Not to cut you off, Rick, I think somebody... Uh, I believe it was NBC Sports, maybe NBCSports.com. So many people have done uh, uh, simulated tournaments. I think they had Xavier, Texas. I think NBC had it. I think CBS had it. I think Yahoo had it. I mean, I think most people ended up with them because I think what happened is you didn't want to put either one of those two teams in. And especially if Texas would have lost to Texas Tech, you know, maybe they could have justified leaving them out. But when you actually got down to the nitty gritty of it. And, you know, like for instance, teams, a lot of people were leaving Cincinnati in the tournament. And I think they, they wanted to reward them for, for sharing, you know, their, uh, their conference championship in the regular season. And that's fine. But then you start looking at the resumes and you're like, Ugh. it's really yeah, tough to justify so- putting them in with four quadrant three losses when a team like Xavier and Texas have none. Yeah. But I think for some of those that were doing that, I think because there was no conference tournament, you were, they got kind of the automatic bid for lack of a lack of a better term. Oh, that's fair. But I mean, I still think even at the end of the day, the the, the end of bracket matrix and bracketology and all of that, before we even knew that they were going to be considered the AQ, people were still having them in as a yeah. Um, as an at large. So anyway, that's neither really he, neither here nor there. But I just wanted to see what would have happened potentially, and and. and this could have just been in the conference tournament. Maybe they would have lost to Texas Tech and we would have found out that they were done right there and Shaka Smart was fired. But either way, it's not just this up-in-the-air thing with Shaka Smart where it was like, I felt like we were going to get a pretty definitive answer this year on him, right? Like, was he done at Texas? Or right. was he or was he going to be able to prolong that by making a run in the NCAA tournament or something? But either way, that's the biggest potential job that could open up. So it, we missed out on like kind of getting that definitive answer. So we'll see, have to see what happens there. Um, another one I was really interested in is just Dayton proving itself as legit yeah, or a fraud. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's probably not fair to say had they gotten upset in the, the second round or something that they were a fraud because they were still a good team. But that's how we do things in college basketball, right? Like what you do in March matters. And that's how you remember it. And had no they doubt. lost in the second no round tournament, it would have been hilarious for, I mean, I cover Xavier. So obviously like the Xavier fans were, would have been rooting for that. And that would have been hysterical to watch them celebrate that at the same time had Dayton made a run to the NCAA championship game and, or just a final four or God forbid won a national championship. That would have been an unbelievable storyline to follow as well. So um, that was one I think. Yeah, we're and, how about, and how about for that fan base? I mean, you talk about tortured in that regard. I mean, you have not a once in a lifetime team because they did play for an NCAA championship once in a once in a blue moon fifty years ago plus. Uh, but but really, in, in a lot of people's lifetime, this was clearly the best Dayton team of a, of a lengthy generation. And for for any fan base, I mean, you, you don't get those opportunities coming along all of the time. And, and I think for them, that's the sad part for that fan base is. You had that team that was legit, and I think you'll agree. They at least proved in the regular season they were legit, and it goes back to Maui where they played toe-to-toe in the, in the championship game in, in Maui. 
uh, with Kansas, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was one of the upper, upper echelon. I think it was Kansas. Um, they, they at least are going to improve it. And to not be able to see that play itself out just has to be awful. I think the only thing that would be more cruel is losing your favorite team. Like if they happen to move, you know, like we've seen in the NFL or, or Major League Baseball. Right. I can't think of anything more cruel for a fan base than what just happened to Dayton fans. And look, I don't have a whole lot of love for the city of Dayton or the surrounding areas, particularly certain suburbs. That's well known, Rick. I, I don't really care too much for the people of that area. Um, I hope they're all safe with, with the pandemic going on. That being said, I can't think of anything more, anything worse. I mean, like you had a legitimate top five team in the country, regardless how you want to slice that up. Worst case scenario, they're a top five team. You have a legitimate NBA lottery pick leading that top five team. So it's not like, you know, you just had some seniors who are a bunch of tough, gritty guys that really knew how to play and were really skilled. Right. But if if you got some big time athletes around them, well, they they weren't really going to be able to hold up. No, they this Dayton team, Obi Toppin's legit. They had a couple other guys that could probably handle it. They had a chance. And not to mention, they were in this perfect storm of a year where there wasn't that team that they're going to run into. That was overly dominant. Exactly. There wasn't a last year's Duke there. I mean, really any of the last three, four five national champions we've had, I think you would have taken them against the field of this year. I don't think anyone felt like there was a dominant team this year that would have beaten any of the last four or five national champions. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, um, you know, I, I would love to see what Seton Hall could have done. I love their parts. I would have loved to have seen. I mean, how about Rutgers? I mean, Rutgers. When's the next time they're going to make a run at the NCAA tournament? Probably another twenty years. It could be. I mean, man, that's tough gig right there, and they they found a way. Uh, yeah, how about for some of the automatic bid teams? I mean, you know, there's there's a handful of those that may never get another opportunity to go. I mean, even for the team that you cover, NKU, I think there's going to be many more opportunities for them, but there's not going to be for this group. And boy, what a, what a what a great story Darren Horn's first year to get them to the tournament and as you saw in one of the simulations and you were quick to point out that 15 seed NKU beat a 2 seed right yeah well and there, there's now two someone had them beating Villanova as well in another simulation so they've yeah, now had I, them I think that was NBC Sports one, yeah. yeah two different uh, simulations have had NKU pulling a 15-2 upset now Grant I mean that means absolutely nothing but you would have liked Correct. to see this team have the chance because they did go to Arkansas at Bud Walton Arena and, and and had two wide open threes in the final minute that would have won the game so like you never know what that weird defense that they play they could have done something I'll give you one more storyline that I personally really wanted to see you mentioned Seton Hall the Big East team for me because I, you know I cover Xavier in the Big East so I see all these teams yep. the, the one that I really wanted to see was Creighton. Now, granted, Marcus Zagorowski had the knee injury um, and he wasn't going to play in the Big East tournament, but they still had a two or three seed wrapped up regardless of that. Probably a two because they were going to factor in the fact that Zagorowski didn't play. So even if they were upset, they probably would have had the two regardless. Um, McDermott, to me, is a really good coach. I mean, a great offensive mind. I think his stuff is really hard to guard, but there have obviously been some questions about his defense. There have been some questions at times about his ability to recruit and they just haven't found ways to win big games. I mean, they haven't been able to pull it off in the NCAA tournament specifically to me. This was a team that a lot of the other years, I thought they had teams that could have won a game or two, you know, could have gone farther than they did. Um, they, they bowed out too early, but I never really felt they had a team that, that had it all that, that could have really made a run. This Creighton team, particularly in this year, if you told me they were a Final Four team, I wouldn't have doubted it. Like I thought they were just tough enough 
to go with that slinging the ball around the perimeter, pushing up the court and jacking threes the way they do, that that they really could have given you some problems because they could defend enough and they could rebound enough. And um, I thought they were really fun. And I thought, man, you could he could have really legitimized his career as a head coach had he been able to lead this team, you know, maybe into an elite eight or something like that. Yeah, it felt like he lived off his kid's name for a while, right? And his kid's performance level. Well, I think that's what a lot of it was, right? I mean, that that team pretty much carried him initially into the Big East and and made it feel like they were good enough. But even then, they didn't accomplish a whole lot with that group. No, right. That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, there there were. I mean, we could go on. We could almost probably go to every single solitary team in this tournament and come up with a great storyline for them. And that's the sad part, because it would have been one of the better ones in a long time, in my opinion. All right, let's keep it moving. Should Kansas be declared the 2020 national champions for finishing first overall in the AP poll? Um, absolutely not. Thank you. <laughs> because that's not how this is determined. Absolutely. Now, as you recall, as you may recall, I mean, you know, it's, we're probably hmm, 25 years removed, something along those lines, from pollsters determining the national champion in college football. And a lot of times it was, wait a minute, that, that just happened. Now, some of that was. Obviously, that was the last poll after bowl games were played, and sometimes there was a clear-cut team that was number one, and you voted them number one as opposed to letting it play itself out. But that's what March Madness makes it so special, right, is we play it out, and very rarely does the team that finishes number one win it. And very rarely um, does the team that maybe finishes that. Very rarely does the number one team win it. We, we can all agree with that portion of it. So, no, I mean, you can crown them Associated Press poll champion, and that's all well and good because that's exactly what they are. But they're not national champion. They're, they're, 2020 gets vacated. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And this year, it's perfect to have it vacated. I mean, it was such a weird year. We talked about it, and it really wouldn't have stood out, especially had you had a Michigan State or a Kansas title, right? Like just some right, some right. team that you kind of expected that's kind of one of the blue bloods or at least has the elite Hall of Fame coach. But if you, if you go this year with – just no champion. We will never forget how weird this year was now because of the way it finished. So it kind of ended up being perfect the, the way it turned out. And you're absolutely right. There is no chance that you name a national champion in college basketball, however imperfect the system may be through a poll. I mean, that just, there's no way you yeah, can do it. I, and I think we all agree the NCAA tournament is imperfect. Of course. It's, really, it's, it's it never is the best. Well, I should say it's rarely the best team. In the case of yes, it is the team that we've seen all year that, hey, that's the team to beat, and they go on to win it. But even when it's not, that's not how this championship is determined. It's determined by who wins that tournament. And it doesn't matter if you were a one seed, an eight seed, a seven seed, a five seed, if you were ranked 15th, second, third, first, whatever. Whoever wins that's the champion. That's the bottom line. Perfectly imperfect, I would argue. Skinny, looking yes. back at the last 10 years, which NCAA tournament game was the best? What about NCAA championship game? Ooh. Tournament game was the best, and I'm gonna go off the board here a little bit. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go that Lehigh Duke game when CJ McCullum went crazy. Oh. And, and, and beat them 75-7. To me, that, that's as David and Goliath as it comes. I know people can go Baltimore County and Virginia, but I think we all can come to some semblance of agreement. If there was a team that was just one seed that could get beat, if you look back over history, that Virginia team was more than capable of, of losing to a 16 seed. Maybe not that 16 <laughs> seed, but they were built to lose a game yeah. like that. Yeah. Man, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. No, I no, no. You I'm know how I feel about that. Uh, yeah. I just that that Lehigh game. It always kept feeling like, all right, any second now, Duke's going to become Duke, and Lehigh's going to become Lehigh. And every time I looked up, here comes CJ McCollum breaking down the dribble, pull up sixteen footer, bang, 
Well, three bang. Okay, any second now, Duke's going to take over. Any second now, they're going to take over. And they never, ever, ever did. Uh, that, I, 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 you talk about that David Goliath moment. That's one of the best ones for me. Well, of course, Xavier ends up being a big beneficiary of that because they end up getting Lehigh <laughs> later exactly on right. instead, instead of Duke. Um, to me, and granted, you know, I, I get the whole upset thing. I mean, that's what we all love about the tournament. And so I think there are certainly arguments to be made for the two games you brought up and some other ones. Um, but for me, the best game was the Xavier Kansas State game. And I Rob Doster had, had tweeted this out. Um, I think he was replying to uh, Barstool Riggs's original tweet. He had quote tweeted it. And I said, yeah, Rob got that 100% right. That was absolutely the best tournament game i can recall watching uh jordan crawford jacob Pullen, just ridiculous shot making by both sides to holloway jordan 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 crawford that night made some of the most ridiculous shots ever he really did it was a joke i mean some of the ones he was pulling nonchalantly with the game on the line and, and both regulation and overtime was just absolutely nuts you had gus johnson on the call which some people don't like him but even if you don't like Gus Johnson that much, I think you felt like it was appropriate for that game because it was that crazy that his screaming just was perfect for it. And there was like this weird appreciation in the moment by everyone, not not just everyone watching, but even the players and coaches seemed to understand like how good everyone was playing, the, the level that that game was being played at to where at the end of it, it was like everyone just sighed and was like, what an incredible basketball game. There was a level of appreciation yeah, in the moment that you just rarely see. Yeah, and, and this sounds contrite. I mean, it's that one where I think even when you lose a game like that, you just can't, you, you, it sucks in the moment, right? And then you can look back a couple, or you, know, you look back a day later and go, we did everything we could do, man. Dude. I mean, they just, t- just, they, they did, they did just a hair better, and that's the way sports goes sometimes. You know what? Somebody, they keep scoring for a reason. One wins, one loses. And sometimes it's not a matter if you lost. That other team just simply won. Skinny. That, that, that was that game. That's not contrite at all. And I can, you know, you know how I know that? Because Chris Mack had a giant poster-sized blow-up of that of a picture from that game where it said like the best game ever played or something, whatever the quote that was used by by I think it was Gus Johnson on the call um, used in, in in the broadcast. He had a blow up blown up picture of that that was poster sized in his office at the Centos Center. So it, you know that that Xavier very much felt like that was a great game, even though they lost. So I think you're dead on yep. there. Um, and what about championship game? Do you have one that comes to mind? Uh, and this is the ten-year window. Yeah, just the, within the last decade, over the 2010s. Um, I'll go Duke Butler, the one that started the decade off. Nah, that was pretty damn were, good. Yeah. They had chance, chance for to, to win it from from three point range at the buzzer. Uh, a close second to me was the Nova Carolina game, right? Oh, okay, Carolina so you're going to use both. And of you can help me with year 16 or 17, yeah. whatever year that 16, I think it was. Um, that game was just a great game, and the ending made the game, but the game itself was just a great game back and forth the whole way. The Duke Butler one for me, just because. How did Butler get there? And yet they still also had a, it was a great, it was a mid-court shot. But it was also a mid-court shot that went in. And um, it was Duke, again, a blue blood against the little guy. And that's what made it so so cool. But just from a sheer game perspective, and hopefully you've got a different one maybe, but the Nova Carolina game in 16, I think you can go back and watch that again and again and again and go, damn, that was some high-level basketball. No, of course I don't, Skinny, because in typical you fashion, you not only take your your good Example, but you also take the next best example that I was going to use. So of course I don't have another one. I'll, I'll, I'll take Duke, I'll take Duke Butler. You take you take the Nova, <laughs> Nova Carolina. Right? No, I, no, I think both of those are, are great examples. I would have gone with the Nova Carolina game. I mean, like you said, back and forth the entire game. 
good shooting by both teams, and then just we got an, a legit buzzer beater to end the game on a throw. Just dream scenario for the NCAA championship game. It was unbelievable. The reaction by Jay Wright was great. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of those finishes you'll just never forget. It was it was a perfect ending to an NCAA tournament. No, no question. All right, Skinny, one more question here to wrap up the podcast, and I ask you, how long will it take new Iona coach Rick Pitino to win a game in the NCAA tournament? He doesn't have a show cause any longer, right? <laughs> no, I think they're eligible right away. Um, next year? I mean, honestly, who knows? You watch the roster, going to be like, man, it could be grand transfer heaven. Now, granted, as long as New York's on New York, still on the map at that point. Um, which I hope it is. I don't say that completely jokingly, but as long as the Negro Show New York is still okay, um, and that's kind of kind of ground zero to some degree for, for coronavirus at the moment. Um, I, I don't think it takes him long. Um, we talked about this on the Sunday podcast, and we were all in agreement. You and Chad and, and, and Brady and I, especially you and Chad and I, very rarely agree on anything, but we all agree. The guy, he might be a scumbag. He might be a clown show. He might be a lot of things that are negative. The man is a damn good basketball coach. And I think he's going to prove that at Iona by winning an NCAA tournament game sooner rather than later. There's no question. And, and the thing about it is pretty much any parent of a prospect right now, high school-aged kid at this point, feels like he's one of the best coaches ever. So regardless, of, you know, there's yeah, sure, some of his transgressions at Louisville are, are going to follow him, and there will be some parents who really – are, are turned off by that. Maybe even a decent percentage, but at the end of the day, there's still going to be a good percentage that aren't and are going to see an opportunity for their son to go play for one of the greatest coaches of all time. And probably the, the best coach alive right now. I mean, it, you know, maybe he won't be getting five stars or the top guys that can go anywhere they want, but those next guys who are, who maybe not, you know, maybe can't go play for hall of fame coach, but could play for most high majors. Maybe they'll make an exception and go play for a Hall of Fame coach at Iona. I, I'm going to say three years tops. Three years tops before yeah, what, he wins an NCAA tournament game. And what about grad transfers you get? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that could happen right away. So, and Especially, you know, you've talked about it. It's probably that does, it's not worked itself out well in the uh, in the Power Fives or however deep you want to go with, with major conferences in basketball. But it's going to work out in the MAC. I mean, <laughs> It's, it's probably going to be enough to, to, to help those teams get over the hump. And, and yeah, I mean, even if you go to the Karen Cypher transgressions, right? Transgression, rather. Or maybe there was multiple. It didn't last long, however, however you want to face that. Right. Um, guys still went to Louisville after that. I mean, they came, still came in droves. And the other part is, Billy's a great coach at college, in college basketball. He's, he's also great at developing guys. I mean, most recent, I guess, probably what, Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. Did best you know example Donovan Mitchell coming out of high school? I mean, I, I'm sure you did, but was Donovan Mitchell considered an NBA prospect coming out of high school? Uh, so, uh, definitely not a lottery pick. The Donovan Mitchell case is, is really weird. I don't mean to go full Brendel on you here, but... We, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking you. But, but no, we, we had Xavier, because he went to Brewster, which, you know, Samaje Kristen, Jalen Reynolds, yeah. uh, Mark yeah. Lyons, several Xavier players, kind of a Xavier pipeline at that point. Um, when we knew he was going to Brewster, I was told to go watch him because, you know, hey, there's there's a kid that they got that might be good enough. I watched him one morning at like an 8.30 a.m. game, and I go, you ain't getting him. <laughs> You're not getting that kid. No chance. <laughs> I mean, he was just ridiculously good. And then on top of that, he like that same weekend, it was in Atlanta, and he had put, I don't know, every big name player on a poster in that weekend. 
So because of that, I kind of had this, you know, little bit of a man crush going already of like, no, this kid is legit. Even if I was overhyping him at the time, um, it, it turned out I, I, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But yeah, you, most people I don't think had Donovan Mitchell becoming what he became in just one year. And, and certainly Rick Pitino played a role in that. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Hey, Rick, by the way, I know you probably probably won't watch, but for fans on Saturday, believe it or not, our, our television station, Channel 12, thanks to CBS, this is the lineup of Saturday afternoon games. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'll probably sit and watch all six hours of this. Noon to two, the 1982 North Carolina Georgetown National Championship. Two to four, the 83 NC State Houston great upset. I know Kentucky fans won't want to watch the game, but from four to six, the 92 Duke Kentucky game. As much as I'm missing the tournament this weekend, that is a pretty good block of, of, of classic games from the past. It is a good block. Um, unfortunately, it just stings too much. I just can't do it. I, I'm not. Watching the old games just doesn't do it for me. Well, then go to MLB Network and watch the game from the 70s with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, by, by the way, for our listeners out there, if you've made it this far, God bless you. I hope your quarantine is going well. Um, but we do need some help for the next couple episodes of the podcast. We're not going to stop recording. We'll keep plowing through as long as we can go, but we will need some topic ideas. Um, the first thing we need is whatever pop culture questions you have for one Richard Skinner. I need sent my oh, way. Uh, anything you guys can come up with, anything you want to know about Richard Skinner. Heck, even if it's not really pop culture, just anything you want to know about Richard Skinner, we will do that type of episode. And then also, we're bringing it back, baby. We need your ghost stories. The best ghost stories you've got, give us anything paranormal that you can give us, and uh, we will do another ghost episode coming soon. Yeah, Yeah, I'll tell one on myself because Rick heard the background of it. Um, We were... doing this podcast obviously in different places and we were having some audio issues earlier and so we decided to kind of reset it and my youngest daughter who's home from college because she goes to UK and UK is is shutting down uh, uh, live classes for the rest of the semester and she's on spring break this week anyway um, she set me up with with what I call them earbuds, ear, what I call them, ear pads. I call them something that just wasn't correct. And you can hear from the background, correct me in a scoffing tone. Like, my dad is such a stupid old man. Yeah. Fortunately, she doesn't have to run steps anymore for that. But back in the day, that would have been problematic, the tone she took. Yeah, but, yeah, but she was probably right. I didn't know what I was talking about. She <laughs> knew exactly how to set me up. And I, I'll commend her for that. Yeah, and you, you are an old man, so she's not wrong. No question. Yeah. No question. Well, Rick, we pre- I appreciate you getting this thing together. Uh, we have a lot to get over, and hopefully, uh, next week, who knows? We, we may have some more, and hopefully, we, we inch our way out of this, and we just hope everybody stays safe. Yes, we do. Apologize for the audio. It wasn't the best today, but uh, we plowed through. We'll try to get better. Indeed. All right, for Rick Roy, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Boker edition.